Thank you for listening to Brain Injury Bites. From all of us here, we'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hello and welcome to Brain Injury Bites, where we provide help and advice for people after a brain injury. Hi, I'm Ashwani and I'm a trustee at Headway Warrington. I'm also a senior associate solicitor focusing on catastrophic injury, including brain injury. My name's Brooke and I've lived with a traumatic brain injury since 2007. So in the last episode, we discussed cognitive problems and we briefly touched upon the effects of socialising. I'd like to discuss that with you a little bit more, um, Brooke, um, and think about the effects that you've experienced um, since your brain injury and how that's impacted on your relationships with your family and your friends. It's also helpful to remember that when we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, we've talked about the importance of physiological, talked about um, safety and security generally. We're now sort of halfway up the pyramid and thinking about the idea of love and belonging and the importance of that to to achieving your goals. And friends and family and the interactions that you have with them is is really important to, um, to the journey. It's probably even more so important after brain injury because that support is really um, vital to making sure that um, you can flourish. But I think it's perhaps fair to say that there, there also has to be an acceptance that those relationships will change because as you adjust to the new you, friends and family will also come to realise that um, that you are different and that the relationship will be different. Um, So it's about adapting and strengthening those relationships. And we'll also be looking at how um, it's possible to forge new relationships as well. I'd like to talk to you, though, specifically about your experiences, Brooke. Um, So talk to us, tell us really about how you found socialising after your injury. I think the first thing to say is that you think... because brain injury is like it's well, it is it's an invisible disability, and it can be invisible to you as well. Because you, th- you think particularly, I was in my early twenties, and I just thought I couldn't see a difference in myself. Thought I was going to be totally fine. But my my plan was to come out of hospital and just get back to my normal life. I was a student at the time, which was um, a lot of kind of late nights and socialising. But um, when you when you are discharged from hospital, you do kind of, you slowly realise that that's not the case. And you you, you come to realise that you, you as a person have changed and your relationships with other people have changed. And um, because essentially it's, it's your brain that's being injured, which makes you you and mm-hmm. you are actually a different person, whether you, whether you like to admit it or not. Mm. And the first time I noticed that something was wrong, I mean, I was, I was, I guess all that time I spent in hospital, a lot of it was like planning my, I guess, triumphant return to the social world. And um, I think that's, I think that's worth noting, actually. It's something that a lot of people have, like, you know, everybody's in different situations. Everyone's in different scenarios when they have a head injury out there. And um, I was, uh, my, you know, a lot of people have, you know, normal life, no job, family. And I, I suppose I had normal life because I, I was a student at the time. And I mean, I worked, but it was like um, not normal hours. It was uh, I worked in a bar and stuff. And that was like a big part of my life. And that's not necessarily a normal life, but that's that was the life that I was wanting to get back to. 
And I used to um, sit, I still remember sitting in the hospital thinking how I was going to, you know, I was going to get back to, to normal life. And I built this, um, I built this image up of how I was going to um, make this return, how I was going to be this great charismatic guy and um, <laughs> I was going to fit straight back in it. But the first example I can think of was, I was, it was arranged that I was um, going to meet up with some friends again when I've been just, I think that, in fact, I think I was still in hospital at the time, but the kind of, I used to think of it as being that hospital, like, like prison. I used to get like day release. They used to let me out on, um, they used to let me out on some days, like weekends and stuff, um, just to be at home with my family and to get, you know, a bit back to normal life. I, I arranged to meet up with some friends. I used to work on the bar on Deansgate Locks and um, it was just a Tuesday afternoon, uh, quite a sound week for the bar um the music was on as low as possible and um I suppose that's a situation where everybody else would think you know this is this is a perfect scenario for him because it's going to be nice and quiet it's going to be easy but um what actually happened was I was sat on sat around the table and obviously everybody I've been for this massive thing Everybody had not seen me for a while. So there was a few people wanting to ask me questions about it. Mm. And um, so I was getting like a few people asking me at once. And also, even though the the bar was quiet, the, um, the music was on low, it was still, it was, there were still other people mm. and um, there was still the music on low. And that wasn't something that I was used to in a quiet hospital. So yeah. that in itself became overwhelming. And like several people talking to me at once, that just, it was just, that's when I came to the like, I don't know what the word is, it's social stimulation or something. That's when the first time I came, became aware of that and how it was, how it massively had a negative impact on me. Yeah, yeah. And did that sort of then change your views on wanting to socialise or how you were going to socialise? I suppose there's a big element of denial about it as well. As I just thought it was, um, it used, obviously it did have massive effects on me, but it was um, in my head, I just put it down to it was just a one-off and next time I would be this charismatic person, you know, <laughs> and then it was the next time and it was the next time when it was, and when it happened, you know, a few times I started to realise that things, that things have changed. Did it take you a while to accept that things had changed and that you couldn't necessarily be the person that you'd built yourself up to be in your head, this sort of charismatic person that would come in for his triumphant return. I, I just kept, kept constantly making up to myself that it would be, you know, this is just a one-off um, and it would be all right next time. But when it's like the 10th one-off, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be like a little bit obvious that there's something that's changed. And, and was that hard for you to accept? I think like emotionally as well, as well as, Physically, yeah. Physically, you have to make you have to make changes so that you, in fact, can get through those times. And um, emo you know, having to, it's a, I don't know, it's like your pride, isn't it? You, you do want to, um, you build yourself up to it in your head to be this person, and uh, then then you, in fact, you realise that you're not. So mm. um, it's. I think it can probably impact on your idea of your self identity because you remember what you were like before the accident and you were probably, as a student, used to going out in big, big groups and being the life and soul of the party and, you know, going out drinking at all hours and so on. And then from having ha having had that to going to not being able to sit in a, in a bar on a Tuesday afternoon with 
quiet music. Yeah, I wouldn't ever claim to have been the life and soul of pipe. I could certainly, <laughs> I could certainly um, you know, hack a conversation with several people under loud music. Mm. And the fact that, he, you know, you couldn't hack a conversation with two or three people under extremely quiet music was, was a, yeah, definitely a jolt to the system. Mm. Yeah. So after those sort of experiences where, you know, you kept thinking, oh, this is a one-off next time, next time. And then you got to a point where it was, you know, quite a few of these next times. Did you get to a point where you then felt like you wanted to withdraw, that you didn't want to socialise with people? Yes and no, really. There's, um, yes, because it was just, you kind of, you you become scared of failure and you Mm. don't want to, um, you don't want to be like a letdown to people. And then um, you also want to, there's, you know, there's that fighter in you, isn't there? You, you know, you want to fight against it, and and also denial. You, you know, you don't. It takes it just takes you a long time to to accept that you have changed, and hmm. you, there's that. You know, you, I kept making excuses that that you know it was always a one off, but it probably took me a, probably you know it might even be years to accept that because I didn't. I just think I didn't want to admit. Yeah. Yeah. As well, you don't want to be a hindrance to anyone else. As well, you don't want to be. You don't want to be saying to hold people back. You know, mm. you want you want to, like, I guess, contribute to the situation, but you don't want people to. I guess a big thing for me was I always I didn't want to be seen as being boring, and um, every time it, the the socialization the socializing was such a stress that mm. I just uh, I would tend to avoid it rather than rather than risk being boring. I would just sit this one out, and then it comes to, you know, you would make excuses to sit this one out, and then. It can, you can see how it can be quite easily to quite quite easy to become isolated mm. like that. And did that sort of impact on your mental health as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it did. You don't you don't want to be you don't want to be seen as like somebody who brings the situation down. You'd rather just not be there at all. Mm. But, you know, but then the isolation can yeah, and the isolation. You know, while it might be a comfort at first that you can stay at home and you don't have to go through that. Yeah, um, you do that a few times, and then you know you've got you've got good friends that will ask you to come out. But then after a while, if you you know if you refuse a situation five times, then you know they're going to stop asking you because you think yeah. that's, think that's maybe the best thing for you. You know, the the kindest thing to do if you don't if you don't want to do that. Did you have any sort of conversations with your friends about how you were feeling and how you were struggling in certain situations? I don't think I ever did, you know, because I, I don't think I ever had that conversation with anyone because I don't I didn't really understand myself what was happening myself, so right. I couldn't really articulate how I was feeling and you know how how therefore that impacts on social situations. I I think a lot of the thing was. I just didn't understand it, so I just used to avoid it. Yeah. So that was, um, and then like, obviously, uh, a knock-on effect of that was the isolation. Yeah, yeah. And um, on the occasions that you did go out or tried to go out and and struggled, did you find that, um, for example, that afterwards, let's say you went on a Tuesday afternoon or something, and the next day, did you find that you were even more fatigued for the for the effort that was put into trying to be present? Yeah, there's something that you have to learn as well, which is the knock-on effect. But um, So say if you do something like particularly energetic one day, that will have a knock-on effect for the next day to even two, three days. Yeah. And um, 
But the thing is, couple that with the memory problems that, you know, you wake up the next day and you, you forget about that. And yeah. then you just, you're just really tired and um, you don't, um, you don't really know why. And um, that's why, this is why it's good to write things down to keep a diary. And if you can be prepared for that, um, things I've said to myself several times in the past that um, I'm going to, write my, my write myself a post-it note by the side of my bed saying you're going to be tired today and <laughs> you know time to to expect to be tired but yeah you f- obviously forget to write that post-it note and you forget to do it i mean still 15 years on now i don't do it and yeah. it still happens to me and um and i suppose you also forget that going out takes that m- little bit more effort and yeah the next time you're invited and you decide to go you sort of don't prepare yourself yeah and, and you you know you knew you sh- in terms of planning your week if you do something on the night or the night before then you know make sure you don't have anything planned for the next day yeah but um or you know at least the morning of the next day and it's just the the fatigue you know we've spoke about fatigue in a previous episode but it does it does have a massive knock-on effect absolutely yeah um and you talked about sort of in you know in those earlier um episodes of um, socialising with friends. You had lots of people asking you lots of questions and and struggling with that. How did that make you feel? What was going on? Um, Were you struggling to sort of follow conversations? Was it just too much stimulation? I think a bit of both. I mean, one thing I've learned about previous from reading it is um, it's called the swimming pool effect. Not been for a swim pool for a while, but I remember going when I was younger, and it's it's like there's a lot of people in there shouting, and they there's um you know there's no soft furnishing to absorb the sound. It's just all hard surfaces, and it just it's very echoey in a mm. swimming pool, and um, that's what it's a bit like in your head. It's um and it can become quite just overwhelming, mm, quite disorientating, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what about the effects of alcohol? I mean, you know, as a student your sort of natural way of socializing, I guess, was to go out drinking. Um, did you find that after um, your brain injury that socializing with alcohol was perhaps more difficult, harder, um, worse? As a young person as well, yeah. It's, um, alcohol is a, a big part of my life. It just has an effect times 10, really. It's just, it's, you kind of, you kind of get, it's one of those situations where you try to explain it to people, you mm. know, that alcohol makes me feel awful, but then everyone makes a joke, say, yeah, it makes me feel awful too, um, especially the next morning. But, um, yeah, alcohol, particularly with the, you know, trying to keep track of things, it, I suppose what it does, is it's a depressant, isn't it? It dulls your senses. So mm. especially like trying to, trying to um, speak to a few different people at once where, before it could have made you more confident. It actually now it made me absolutely less confident. Mm. And um, the thing to warn people about with if consuming alcohol after a brain injury, it makes you massively vulnerable as well. Mm. And um, brain injury can make you look drunk as well. Um, I remember trying to you know because you try and socialise, you're trying to get back to your normal life, but. Um, you go out and you, you're looking like you're enjoying it, but in actual fact, it's yeah, you're absolutely hating it. But you're just kind of being there, and you, just because you, I was there quite a few times because I thought I should be there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember going to a, 
a bar in Scarborough and the, the I mean, I'd not had anything to drink, but the, I mean, the doorman wouldn't let me in because I was like swaying a bit, but mm. um, because uh, because I just had a brain injury and he wouldn't let me in because I thought I was drunk, but in fact, I actually wasn't drunk. But But then, you know, you don't have the you don't have the conversational skills to speak to yeah to to speak up and plead your case no no um just whilst thinking about that um i don't know if you're aware of headway um they have the brain injury card now and um because as like yourself many other people with brain injuries struggle with um well not struggle but um can sometimes appear um intoxicated when they're not um they might be swaying they might have slurred speech they might not be able to focus um and those are the sorts of things that you could also associate with um somebody who's under the influence um but with a brain injury card you can um specify on the card the things that you struggle with so um you know it might be that my speech is slurred um and it's a way of telling people that you know i'm not acting this way because i'm i'm drunk but because i have an injury um so not necessarily just for bars in other situations as well but um it's just um handy to know about that i think any situation with a brain injury card I've, I've, i mean i've got one i've never I don't think I've actually used it, but it's really nice to have in my wallet. I mean, I think I'm maybe, I don't know, I'm 15 years soon past my injury. and But certainly in the, you know, there's been plenty of times when I would have when I would have liked that. And it's something like official to pull out. And it's, yeah. it's not just saying I've got this brain injury and it doesn't sound, because um, particularly when, you're not like quite as articulate as you were. You, you yeah. can't really, um, you can't really, and you can't really voice your opinion properly. Particularly when you get stressed as well. When you get yeah. stressed, your brain gets, um, your brain like kind of grinds to a halt, and you can't. You know, the more stressed you are, the less you can speak, mm. and that's when that, um, that's when that will uh, come in extremely handy. Yeah, definitely. Thinking about um, the other impacts, I guess, of um, brain injury on socialising. Um, and I think we've touched on this before in another episode about sort of the um, rigid rigidity of thinking um, and taking things quite literally. Um, talk to us about the um, the fancy dress party you went to. The fancy dress party, it was... Um... So that's something I've mentioned before in writing. My friend Gareth had a, I think it was his 25th birthday. That was his 25th birthday. And it was a fancy dress party and the theme was G. So G for we Gareth. Had, yeah, G for Gareth, yeah. <laughs> so he was a gangster rapper, I think. Um, mate, another mate, Danny, was Graham Gooch, the cricketer. Um, mate, Graham was a German who had the lid hose and stuff and, and a mullet. And... Um, I was a gnome. Um, my sister's like a makeup artist, and she did. It's <laughs> any fancy dress party I've had been to. I've always had really good makeup, and um, I had my dad um, had made me like it was like a piece of wood, a string with a little fish on the end, <laughs> and it was like a fishing rod, like oh. like a garden gnome would. Yeah. And I walked in, and I had I will put a picture on um, on the website for this. And I'd come in to see my friends and everybody saw me burst out laughing. Yeah. 
And I I remember thinking, I remember being really, obviously they were laughing because it was a funny costume and everyone was laughing at each other. I, I just remember being quite hurt by it. I thought everybody was, I thought everybody was laughing at me. But mm. I mean, obviously they were laughing at me because it was a, a costume, wasn't it? But I just, I just didn't take, I didn't get the joke. I took it really literally. And getting back to sense of humour and learning to take a joke has been actually a big thing for me. Mm. The first example I can think of was actually in the hospital. I had um, had my phone and um, a, a big thing at the time was sending loads of different jokes to people. And um, my one of my mates had sent me a joke. I think the joke saying was somebody they knew was um, um, they were selling venison. Um, it was like, I don't know, for instance, £15 a kilo do you think that's deer? And the joke was venison being deer. But, um, and just going to prove that nobody else got this joke, there was like, I think there was four guys in my ward and I had like a bit of a discussion going um, of whether £15 for a kilo of venison <laughs> was in fact expensive or not. So I gave him a deadpan straight answer. Uh, we thought it was all right. And he thought, um, obviously to him it was a joke and I didn't get it. Oh dear. <laughs> Literally, oh dear. <laughs> um, has that gotten better over time? That you sort of able to um, understand jokes more and not take things as literally? I think it's gotten better. Yeah, it's obviously gotten better. Every, everything gets better, but it's probably not perfect, you know? It's, mm. it's, it, I guess I'd say it's still effective. It comes down to speed of thinking, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And what about, um, you know, making forging new relationships making new friendships or even just engaging in you know small talk with people how have you found that well i'm someone that like all the time when i was in hospital when i was when i was at home or sorry when i went back to scarborough for like a few years and i always wanted to um i always wanted to move back to manchester and i always thought um i'd make a really good go of it and to be honest i've been quite i have I have I've been quite brave in some aspects. Like I've been, for instance, I've been into town on my own to the living room on Deansgate, and I've been speed dating. And um, the first, the first, I've been speed dating a few times. I just throw myself. I'm, I've got this thing where I throw myself into uncomfortable situations and just try and get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. That's probably what's like the public speaking's about. Because that's not something I would uh, want to do at first, neither. But um, I'm good at forcing myself into situations, but. I remember the, the speed dating. I don't know if you've, uh, to anybody who's never done it, you basically, you go, there's a series of tables, there's like, say 10 different girls and you'd go, you'd move around after, you know, three minutes, you'd have this little date, you'd have a chat for three minutes and then you'd move on to the next. And I, I just like, I suppose I went into the first two really enthusiastic and then after the first two, my, my energy had totally, all totally burned out. And I remember, I remember this um, moment looking up and seeing the rest of the room and there was like another 10 more dates, no, sorry, there was another like eight more dates to go on. Mm. I thought, oh my God, I can't be doing with this. But um, I do I do throw myself in situations, but I can't. Um, making small talk is, is, I suppose small talk's all right. Um, but I think one thing that got me was where you have to, I find I have to plan for little conversations. There was a time when um, I joined the, uh, gym at uh, um, Powerswood at Didsbury and um, I used to practice talking to everyone and I used to go and I used to so I'm quite sort of confident but 
um, I'm confident with, with no substance. I went to, um, I used to go in and I used to smile. I used to have a chat with the, the person on the reception. And one thing that he always used to stump me was, you know, what have you been up to at the weekend? And I was just, I'd, I'd, I don't know, I'd have this visualization that I'd just look back into my memory and that it'd just be completely empty. I couldn't, um, I can't sort of remember things off the top of my head. Like if somebody, mm. if somebody prompts me, for instance, like I think it was even the time I did, I did a wing walk, um, like on, you know, when you're on the top of the plane um, and I'd done that on a Saturday. And um, I think then I'd been into this gym, um, I think it was on a Tuesday and said, what, you know, what have you been up to at the weekend? Just small talk. And I couldn't remember. And I just made some excuse and said I'd done something. I'd done this wing walk, but obviously it was there in my memory, but it's like some needs somebody's kind of it's called a prompting. Um it's needs somebody to kind of um well to push me in, you know, to, to prompt me of that memory. So if they said, Do you remember the wing walk? Then I'd be able to talk about it for ten mm. minutes. But mm. on the on, you know, just from from cold asking me what I've done, I couldn't remember. So you've mentioned planning um and practicing discussions. Do you do you sort of plan out before you go to a situation where you might have to engage in small talk? I say I do, but um, I, I don't due to the memory and the organisational <laughs> problems that I have. Um, but on a good day, yeah, occasionally I do. Whenever I get asked to do something or a particular date, I'll try and stick it in the diary so I can then have a look back over my calendar over the previous week, look what I've been been up to the previous week, and then it would be fresh in my memory and I could have yeah. that conversation, that small talk conversation. Yeah. I think preparation is preparation's so important. I think when you've got a brain injury, it's, you have to be prepared for any situation you can yeah that's a really good tip so thinking about help and advice then um for our listeners um especially those who might be thinking about um socializing after their brain injury and sort of getting them prepared i guess um for the changes um that they might experience um i suppose some tips could be to to think about how um, how to socialize and accept that it will be different. Um, so rather than just trying to go back to what you did before, finding somewhere quieter to meet, somewhere, um, say, I don't know, at home or in a cafe rather than in a busy pub, um, and thinking about also the time of day. Um, so not doing it in the evening when there are lots of people around, but perhaps earlier in the day when it's not as busy. Um, and you said that you didn't really talk to your friends and family about it at the time because you you yourself struggled to articulate what was going on um, or understand it. But I suppose we could encourage our listeners to really um, have those open discussions with their friends and family about what they're experiencing, how they're feeling, um, what they're struggling with. Um, so to make them understand that, you know, it might not be um, the best thing to try and go out for an evening meal in a busy pub, but, you know, something a bit quieter um, with a smaller group. Um, definitely keeping an eye on alcohol consumption. You talked about how it can make you quite vulnerable um, and it can be quite a significant depressant. And we know that um, when someone has a brain injury, these sorts of um, substances can have much more of an effect um, on someone. Um, so definitely trying to, to keep, um, an eye on it. Don't try to match everybody. Um, 
try as best you can to know your limits and and stick to them. But I think it's important to to plan or try to plan ahead. Um, if you know you're going to go out, have um, have a nap. Make sure you're well rested. Um, we've talked about this obviously in the um, in the episode dealing with fatigue, um, but you know it can't be overstated really um, the importance of rest. And I suppose you know coming back to the idea of knowing your limits, just knowing what you can and can't tolerate. And being prepared to say, you know, I've had enough. I'm, I'm tired. I need to go home. Rather than just trying to be there, um, like you said, you know, just just being there because you feel you have to be. I think any yeah, with any in any situation you you go into, make sure you've got an exit plan as well. Mm. Um, so you're not you're not just going into. You don't find yourself into in in a bar when um, you might be sat there worried about you know full of anxiety about. How are you gonna? How are you gonna get home? How are you gonna? Um, how long are you gonna be there for? How long are you gonna mm. be? Um, you know how how long are you gonna be exposed to this for? So um, I think the best thing to do, so talking from experience, there's no there's no substitute for experience as well. But I think I've got to try and try and try to be the best version of yourself yeah. that you can, um, rather than you don't want to be like an exhausted version of yourself. So you know, although you might be there for longer, you're not gonna be. You know, you, you're there, you, but yeah, you're not you, present. Yeah, you you don't want to be there, um, and I don't think you're going to be. You're going to be. You're not going to be adding much to the situation. So all you're only going to be is just there. So mm. um, to do things in in smaller, um, sm- sm- small groups, smaller timescales as well. Um, so it's a better better to be, you know, a much better version of yourself than yeah. to um, try to do everything yeah, at once. To Too many once, people. Yeah, and, to overwhelm yourself. And I suppose you could share that exit plan, if you like, with um, a couple of people that you you feel um, you, you trust and you feel able to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that another, they and another thing as well, if you're going out drinking as well, there's going to be people who say, I'll look after you, you know, don't worry about I'll be fine, but then don't forget if they're having alcohol, they're yes. they um, they are going to change once after a couple of pints. So be yeah. wary of that as well. And I think the the final thing which we touched on just before was, um, you know, planning ahead a little bit as well, being prepared for that small talk. If if you're asked questions out of the blue, having um, you know, however you do it, whether you read your diary beforehand, whether you have um, a post-it note with some little prompts on. Um, you know, so that if somebody asks you, what have you done at the weekend or, you know, you, you've got a stock answer ready. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a theme that runs through everything, I think, is to be, be prepared for stuff. Be prepared, be well rested, be the best version of yourself. Yeah, there you go. It's a title for you, man. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure you check the footnotes for more help, advice and resources. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe and share our content. If you do have any suggestions for topics that you'd like us to cover, why not drop us a line at hi at braininjurybites.co.uk. We'll be taking a small break over the Christmas period and we'll be back on the 4th of January. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the dangers of comparing yourself to others after brain injury.